there was an avenue to saying what happened Monday night in the Jets-Patriots game. There was an avenue where that could have given Jets fans everything they could have possibly wanted during an 0-8, now 0-9 season as they try to chase down the number one pick and nab Trevor Lawrence. Because Jets fans got part of what they wanted in, in losing to the Patriots, which just, it sounds, it sounds a little gross, sounds a little unsettling, maybe even a, a little dirty. The idea that most Jets fans wanted to lose to the Patriots, wanting to lose to the New England Patriots. Ugh. It, it's, it's like a, a be careful what you wish for kind of deal. It's like maybe, maybe 2020 is the only year where you can legitimately have a chance to beat the Patriots. And most of us, most of us Jets fans are, are wasting it by rooting for the NFL's evil empire. The problem is both the Jets and the Patriots right now, both franchises have holes. The Jets essentially are just a hole. But I, I, I don't know that I have confidence that the Jets are going to rebuild and fix this thing quicker than the Patriots can. But it is, it's 100% true. At this point in time, losing the game to the Patriots made more sense in the long run. But what, what bothered me was, even if the Jets are going to lose games, even knowing that it's the smarter play long-term, I still want to see development. I, I said this last week, or, or maybe it was the week before, I don't remember exactly, but I, I said, I have never, never rooted against the Jets ever. I, I didn't root against them w with Todd Bowles when we thought they were trying to tank and um, hit his third and what was supposed to be final season as coach because... That expectation that year was 1-15 with Josh McCown uh, when he was the quarterback. The thought was that they were trying to get the top pick that year, trying to draft Sam Darnold. I, I didn't root against them then, and I felt somewhat vindicated in the fact that they didn't go 1-15, they didn't go 0-16, they didn't get the number one pick, yet they still ended up with the guy that we all wanted anyway. They still drafted Sam Darnold. They found a way to make it work. I haven't rooted against the Jets if there were any fantasy implications, knockout pools, or any type of wager was on the line. But my mindset has shifted a little bit. I'm not, I'm not sitting there rooting for the Jets to turn the ball over. I'm not rooting for a blowout. But I also know it's better to lose the game ultimately. And if it's a close game like this was with the Patriots, when it ended, I did. I had I had a sigh of relief. You know, I, I slept a little better Monday night knowing that the Jets still had the worst record in the NFL. But during the game, I wanted to see development. I want to see the guys that Joe Douglas drafted looking competent so that I know all these draft picks that Douglas keeps stuffing in his pockets for the next couple of years. I want to know that there's a chance that Douglas actually maximizes the draft capital that he has in 2021 and 2022. And that all these picks aren't going to get completely wasted like they did with John Idzik. Having draft picks are half the battle. Maybe they're even just a quarter of the battle. It's easy to have draft picks. It's easy to acquire and find draft picks. It's hard to take advantage of them. But going into this season, if I could pick three players at the start of the season who I wanted to see develop, who I wanted to see take big leaps, make big gains, so that I could feel like we have some foundational players on this roster to build around, it would have been Sam Darnold, Quinnen Williams, and Mekhi Becton. And none of them played Monday night. 
Becton played less than a quarter, and, and hopefully he's okay because a chest injury, breathing issue is, is kind of scary, and you never want to hear a team categorize any injury as mysterious. But the, the reason why they didn't play are irrelevant to the point of those being the top three players that I wanted to see develop at the beginning of the year. And here we are in week nine, Monday night football, prime time, stuck knowing that it's better for the Jets to lose. And I can't even focus on those players that we hope to be future building blocks. And that's not even to say that I still believe Sam Darnold can be a building block because I don't. I gave up on that around week one. That's that's not to say that I didn't like watching Denzel Mims. But this idea that, oh, well, this was the perfect night for the Jets. They kept it close, kept it competitive, made it exciting, but still ultimately lost the game to get closer to Trevor Lawrence. No, <laughs> I, I don't want to see Joe Flacco and Brashard Perriman keep it close. I have no interest in seeing a 35-year-old Flacco play his best game in maybe five years for a brutally bad team. I have no interest in watching Perriman catch two touchdowns and light the Pats up for 100 yards because it's a combination that I know isn't the future. Flacco to Perriman is not going to be here next year. Flacco definitely won't be here. Perriman likely won't be here because if he keeps having a bad year, then why would the Jets want to bring back the 28-year-old below-average wide receiver? And if Monday night happened to be a breakout game for Perriman, well, then now he's ready to outplay his one-year contract, and then he's going to have opportunities to play on a good team next season. So he's not going to be here either. If it, if it was Flacco to Mims, fine. I'm on board because Mims is going to be here next year. He's someone I want to see develop. If it was LaMichael Ryan rushing for two touchdowns at 150 yards, I'm on board because he's going to be here next year. Ryan didn't get enough touches. He, he should be the feature back. Frank Gore getting double, double the amount of carries as Ryan is a joke. And I want at least 10 targets to Mims every week. Every single week, throw the ball to Mims 10 times at least. Whether it's Darnold or it's Flacco, Mims should get at least 10 passes thrown his way every week. But Flacco to Perriman, pass. Honestly, zero interest in watching Joe Flacco at this point in his career for the Jets. They, they, they took a quarterback in the fourth round in the draft. Let me see James Morgan. Why not? It's not like fourth rounders are unable to contribute in their rookie year. It's not like we haven't seen late-round quarterbacks succeed in their rookie year. Dak Prescott was a fourth-round quarterback. So just throw Morgan out there rather than make me suffer through watching Joe Flacco play again and maybe accidentally ruining the team's chances of drafting Trevor Lawrence. Quick break on the Brandon Contest Jets podcast back after this. I should say, in talking about Joe Douglas' draft class, it, it was good to see Bryce Hall get on the field. And also good to see Ashton Davis look like a contributing player. Seeing Davis play well, seeing Mims look like a more than competent wide receiver, seeing Becton look like a legitimate left tackle when he's healthy are all reasons for optimism in terms of letting Douglas be in charge of all the draft capital that the Jets have in the next two years. There, there was one moment during the Jets-Patriots game where I, I, I noticed myself rooting against them because like like I was saying before like at the end of the game at the end of a close game I, I feel a sense of relief that they lost but I have a hard time actually rooting against them in game I'm rooting for plays uh, to go the Jets way I'm rooting for young players to develop I'm rooting for Mims to have a, a big game 
But there was one moment during the game that I actually found myself rooting against them. And it was late in the fourth quarter. Jets were up 10 at that point with, with less than five minutes to go. And uh, it was first and 20. Newton to Jacoby Myers gets close to the first down and it gets into Jets territory. And in the moment, I'm rooting for the Jets. As that play happened, I'm rooting for the Jets. I'm rooting for an incomplete pass. But it was it was considered to be a completion on the field. Then the Jets challenged the catch. And it it gave me time to kind of sit back and assess the situation as the challenge was was being reviewed. And it, I realized that this call was going to be overturned. And I realized that the Jets were going to be up 10 with four minutes to go. And the Patriots stuck with a second and 20. And all of a sudden, I saw the number one pick slipping by. And having just those few minutes to kind of rationally think about what was happening, I was like, my God, they better lose this game. Luckily, they did. I was thinking about this also, which I mentioned this a little bit in my open. We're waiting two decades. Two decades for the New England Patriots to be bad or at least to be consistently beatable. And how brutal is it that, of course, it comes at a time when the Jets weren't ready for it? And they should have been because it's happening when the Jets are in year three of who they thought was their franchise quarterback when they drafted him. Just turns out that the guy they picked is a bust. But the Buffalo Bills are ready. The Miami Dolphins are just about ready. And the Jets are miles and miles away. So instead of getting to be excited about the fact that the Jets have a chance to overtake the Patriots in the division, we're stuck hoping that the Jets can figure out a way to lose to the Patriots and not knowing if the Jets will even have the ability to ever take advantage of this moment of the New England Patriots having a down year, of the New England Patriots looking like a very, very mediocre to below average team. And I, I, I don't know that the Jets can rebuild Faster than Bill Belichick will. I know that there's some rumors about Belichick potentially leaving New England. I, I don't think that's the case. I do think he's going to want to rebuild New England without Tom Brady to show that he can win consistently without Brady. And I don't know that the Patriots won't land Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason and find some magic with him next year. Because I, I think the 49ers are done with him. And we've seen that he's he is certainly a competent quarterback. So if he's going back to a comfortable situation in New England... Maybe they find uh, find some magic with, with Garoppolo. Maybe he turns into being the franchise quarterback that we all thought that he was before he was riddled with injuries. Two decades the Jets waited for this. Two decades the Jets had to get ready for the moment. And they didn't because they couldn't. And now what happens with Darnold going forward? If, if the Jets do get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, as everybody kind of expects, what do the Jets get for Sam Darnold? in the offseason, because he's not going to be here as a backup. He's not going to be battling for a starting quarterback job. They're going to trade him. But not only does he not look like a franchise quarterback when he's on the field, he's regressed, and he can't stay healthy. And not only can he not stay healthy, but it's a shoulder injury. Teams are going to be willing to take a chance on him, but but what what will teams give up for him? Maybe a fourth-round pick at most? The Dolphins traded a a second and a fifth for Josh Rosen, but that was coming off of Rosen's rookie year, a season where he was on a bad team. He was able to go to Green Bay and beat Aaron Rodgers one week, and he was healthy. So there was a lot more upside for Rosen after his rookie year at that time than there is Sam Darnold right now, a fragile 
regressing quarterback with a bad shoulder. I don't exactly think the Jets have too much leverage to work with in attempting to deal Darnold in the offseason. Adam Gase is officially safe through the season, which I have no issue with. I just, I don't personally, I don't see a benefit in firing him midseason. I've made this clear clear all, all year long. If you want to get rid of him with a, a week or two to go to, to get ahead, start on the next coaching search, I think that's fine. But at this point, getting rid of him now, just it, it does nothing to benefit the team. And if they were going to get rid of him, certainly would have made sense to do it going into the bye. They haven't done that, so he's going to be safe. And, and I think they they probably, maybe if they, they got blown out by the Patriots by 50, they would have done it. But the fact that the Jets showed some fight against the Patriots, I think they felt obligated to just uh, just let him, let him stay here. And the, the question is then, Who's making that next hire? That's something we got to figure out. Is it Joe Douglas? Is it the general manager's decision? Or, or do they, they keep that separate? Is it Christopher Johnson? We know Woody Johnson is on his way back, but does he officially retake control by January? That I'm not sure. If it is Woody, I think he's going to want to make a splash, do something that is attention-grabbing as he comes back and starts running the team again. And if it's Douglas, is there any chance, any chance at all that he says, you know what? I hung Adam out to dry. We'll give him another shot. It would be an impossible sell to this fan base, but the Browns did it with Hugh Jackson. Not that they're a franchise that I want to model myself after, but neither are the Jets right now. And if the Browns stuck with Hugh after he went 1-15 and and then 0-16, it's not without precedent that the Jets could stick with Gase as moronic, confused, and backwards as that decision would be. And, And speaking of... Odd decisions. What's with the the story of the Jets having security cameras in the locker room? Like hidden cameras. Obviously, there's likely security cameras all over the place, but hidden cameras. And and of course, it was Manish Mehta who eagerly reported that story last weekend. Also eagerly reporting that there were players that were upset with it, and rightfully so, I would be. Greg Van Roten disputed that a bit, but I'd be upset with it. And I'd like to know if this is something that is, is it common or was this surprising news? Is this something that deters potential free agents? Is this something that, that's seen as an encroachment on players' privacy? I would think it is. The locker room is their sanctuary. It's, it's a place where they feel they could be honest and say things that they probably don't want other people to hear. Whether it's something that isn't politically correct or is it something that isn't meant for ownership or the general manager to hear. Look, we, we've seen a lot of people get their hands on audio that was meant to be private, but it gets in the hands of the wrong person, maybe gets in the hands of an intern or somebody that's willing to uh, turn to TMZ looking to make a few thousand dollars off of it. And if, if I'm a player that finds out the Jets have cameras hidden in the smoke detectors, I would have serious questions about that. I, that is crazy. And I, are, are they being judged off what's said in the locker room? Are, are, are decisions being made by the front office off of what's being said in the locker room? Has has anyone ever been cut, traded, or had their contract negotiations impacted by something the Jets saw on those hidden cameras? Personally, I, and like I said, I, I know that there's been some talk about players maybe saying that this isn't a big deal. Uh, to me, that that's not enough because it is it is kind of a, a big deal. Unless the Jets actually told the players, and that news just hasn't come out yet, and unless the Jets told the players that they were going to big brother them, this is a very big deal. Bye week coming up. 
enjoy finding a competent football game to watch. Root hard for the Jaguars there in Green Bay and would need a miracle, but I, I really, really don't think the Jets are going 0-16. I think they'll find a win at some point, which means Jacksonville also needs to find a win. Otherwise, the number one pick is off the table. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Cotter's Jets podcast, and as always, be good.